Hey, welcome to the Bible Savvy Podcast, a weekly conversation on how to understand, enjoy, and apply God's Word. I'm your host, Nikki Lucas, and I'm joined by Executive Pastor Eric Ferris and Teaching Pastor Clayton Keenan. We're about to jump into another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Plan. Guys, today we are talking about what happens when people exchange the real thing for an imitation substitute, okay? So here's here's what I want to ask, right? Is there something... That's like a knockoff or a generic brand that you think is inferior to something name brand. Oh, for sure. Cheez-Its. Cheez-Its? Like knockoff Cheez-Its. Knockoff Cheez-Its are terrible. The difference between (laughs) actual Cheez-Its and generic or store brand Cheez-Its, every once in a while... Maybe my family likes Cheez-Its too much, but if my wife tries to sneak in generic Cheez-Its, because we have this big, we have this like big uh, drawer in our kitchen island, and it's filled with bins of snacks. So if you find the snack bin in our kitchen, you're hooked up for a long time. And so there's, there's all these big containers of snacks not in their original box, because my wife pours them into containers. So if you reach in and you grab what you think are going to be regular Cheez-Its and they are generics, that is like spit it out of your mouth. (laughs) You you can't pull that over on me, my son, my daughters. Generic Cheez-Its are terrible and should be banned from the planet. (laughs) Wow, tell us what you really think. this has been your... Oh, go ahead. (laughs) Clayton, what about you? Uh, Mine's similar. It's a a food thing. So So it's actually... It's a knockoff of a knockoff because uh, we like so we get our cereal from Aldi and so it's all generic brand knockoffs of things. Yeah. But they have like a knockoff of honey crunches of oats or whatever it's called that we actually like. But sometimes we have to get our groceries someplace else, you know, Walmart, Target, something else, mm-hmm. and we get the other generic version of that. And it is like eating rocks and twigs. It is awful. <laughs> it is terrible. It's like like seriously, you just took the like mulch out of our yard. It's it's. Have Disgusting. you ever eaten bad. the mulch in your but, yard to know these I, things? No, you know what? You're you're right. It may be better. It may be better <laughs> than this. So uh, mine's mine's more like a, it's a taste. It's I guess it's a food thing. But I really dislike artificial sweeteners, like specifically like Truvia or Stevia. Like you put that in a cup of coffee, or like sometimes you'll, people take it, sprinkle it over like uh, like raspberries or like fruit and it makes me nauseous it gets stuck like in the back of my throat and to where like I as it doesn't matter how many I swallow it the taste won't leave so to me artificial sweetener is disgusting I can't I agree can't I don't it. understand how people drink diet soda like that that artificial sweetener taste to me is disgusting yeah for yeah. me it's either sugar or honey. Yeah, all that Absolutely. other all that other stuff is terrible. It's interesting that all three of us named foods. Yeah, yeah. Well, I tried to think of like if there were like clothes or shoes, or but I don't know. I don't really. I really like my Nikki high tops that I'm wearing right now. <laughs> <laughs> you got you got my shoes on. <laughs> What's got, going on? I got shoes. Apparently, no, that's great. Look, look here. I'll hold my foot up. It's my Nikki high tops, <laughs> and they they have a swish on the side. <laughs> That's amazing. All right, Clayton, tell us what passage we're looking at today. We are going to be in Romans chapter one. We're going to read the second half of Romans one. And this is a new book of the Bible. So we have been reading through the letters of Paul lately, and we are getting into one of his most famous books, which is written to the church in Rome. Rome was a really important city in the ancient world, but it's a place that Paul had never been. So he is writing a letter to this church, kind of introducing himself. He knows some people who are from there. He's met them in other places, but this will be the first time visiting there. He didn't start this church. 
And he is writing for a few different reasons. He is trying to tell them about his travel plans. He is trying to tell them, uh, address a few issues that are there about relationships between the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers there. But he's also just trying to give an overview of what he teaches and his message. And so it's a really good kind of comprehensive start to finish look at the gospel that Paul preached. And so it is a book that has changed a whole lot of people's lives. It has been really influential in the history of the world. Um, And it's so significant that we're actually going to be preaching through it during the season of Lent uh, over the course of this time between now and Easter. So uh, we're going to be digging into this, not just on the podcast, but uh, in our church as a whole. Uh, If you want to get an overview of the book, as always, we recommend going to a Bible project video, watching the whole thing, or reading the introduction in the study Bible. It's worth it for this book because uh, it's pretty thick. There's a lot of things going on, so it's worth getting an orientation. So uh, we're going to start in verse 18. So Eric, go ahead and read from 18 to the end of the chapter. Hey, Nikki, if someone didn't know where to find the Bible project video on the book of Romans, where might they find that? Biblesavvy.com. Thanks, Nikki. Mm -hmm. All right, Romans chapter one, starting with verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of the bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. All right, let's go on to the O and comma, which is observation. What do you see in this passage? Yeah, so my first observation, if we're looking at uh, like the repeating words and ideas, is we see uh, godlessness, wickedness mentioned uh, throughout. But then there's there's this, gosh, there's this list of like things: wickedness, evil, greed, depravity, envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, like all of the bad that you could 
possibly fit into like one chunk of pa- like passages like here's all the wickedness and godlessness in the world here's what it looks like one of the things I observe is not specific to any verse, but rather the whole thing. It seems like a downward spiral of darkness that just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. It's it's, it's as if God is saying, okay, if you're going to ignore me, if you're going to live as if there is no God, rock on with your bad selves and it just spirals out of control. Yeah, I uh, one of my observations is connected to that in verse 24. It talks about God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts. Um, and then later in 26, it says God gave them over to shameful lust. It's, it's almost like God is saying, all right, if you want to go down this path, the consequence you'll get is not just something from the outside. Like sometimes we think of God's punishment as something that comes, you know, kind of arbitrary. You do something, you know, wrong and then God like, you know, brings some outside calamity into your life. This almost seems like saying, Actually, the, the life that you start to live when you walk away from God in itself is going to bring suffering. And so God says, go on and do it, and you'll experience what life apart from me looks like, and it's not good. Yeah, and then I, I in here, verse 20, it says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. Like that. To me, every time I read that, it like creates like goosebumps. This idea that like you can look around all creation and see that like obviously this this all just didn't happen. Like there was a creator who created it, who had intention behind it, and you can look at it and know uh, that there's something bigger out there. But it says so that people are without excuse, but clearly. People every day make excuses for, you know, why X happens or why Z happens. And, and it's so, they're so quick to just excuse away the existence of God, even though it's clearly around you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, and so there's a lot of beauty in that, but then also a lot of heartache in it because people are just so quick to excuse it away. I, I had a question related to that as I was reading because I, I thought about this saying, okay, it's really obvious that God exists and you have rejected him. Like that's what Paul is saying. But then I thought about our society and I maybe, I, I think this might be unique, like in, in history to have a society where there, there are uh, a whole generation of people where there are lots of people who grew up without much religion or none at all and may have grown up just not really thinking there was a God. So like you look at most of history and every culture's had religion of some kind. But ours is the first where atheism or agnosticism or just indifference to religion is kind of a viable option for people. And so part of me hears this and I think someone's going to hear this and say, yeah, I knew there was a God, but I, I just decided to ignore him. Like, well, in some cultures, it's like, well, yeah, we all know there's a God, but I did my thing. In our culture, I think some people would say, yeah, but I didn't, I didn't even think about the, f- I know that people believe in God, but like, it was never really a thing for me, you know? And so it's, it's almost like they were never convinced there was a God. And so they never deliberately said, I'm not going to believe in that. So like, there's a part of me that feels like there's something unique going on. Almost like we've gotten to the, like the, the, the effect of this whole thing. You know what I mean? That our culture has said, it's okay to reject God long enough that there are people who don't even get the first premise. Does, does that make sense? That rejection is actually yeah. happening. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, Cause if you're saying, you know what? It, I look around, there's gotta be something behind this, but I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to think about it. I think some people never even 
really ask the question sometimes. They're just like, eh, no, I'm just not religious. I don't think about that. Well, and then there's that category that people fall into where, where they find out that you're religious and they go, well, that's, I mean, that's good for you, but that's not for me. But isn't that just an excuse then? Like, why isn't it for them? Have they actually looked into it or are they just kind of saying, now it's easier for me to say that's not for me because I don't want to go down that. I don't want to go down that I think that, that happens some, yeah. right? You, you, you stiff arm the idea. You, you, you look around at creation or you have a sense that there is a God that made all of this, that there is purpose behind all of this and meaning behind all of this. But it is much easier to, when that thought comes into your mind to just dismiss it or stiff arm it because then it continues to allow you to do whatever you want to do. Right. right? Yeah. And you're not making all of those judgments while you're thinking that, while you're stiff arming. You're not saying like, I'm, I am not going to contemplate whether or not there is or is not a God. And if there is a God, what is he like? Because I just want to be able to do whatever I want to do. I just think, generally speaking, humans in our general rebellion against God want to be our own gods. And so it all just kind of snowballs on itself, which is kind of what this text is doing. Yeah. Is it's kind of like this downward spiral snowball effect. So like, Clayton, when you were saying I – I, you said maybe we're the first society in history. I don't know if I'd say we're the first society in history. Um, but it is an interesting scenario when you're living in a post-Christian society, yeah. and increasingly so, that you have a certain percentage of the population that acknowledges there is a God and tries to align their lives with this God. And But there's a larger majority of the population that may not even give a second thought to it. And some of it might be because they're just not coming across the conversations. So yeah. even, even if they know they have a conscience, they know they have a sense of right or wrong, they know they have a sense that life should have meaning and purpose, and, and even if they have thoughts about God, there's not a whole lot of conversations going on around them to even foster that conversation. So as quickly as they have the thought, it can just go away. I, I also think that something that the passage described is going on too, where they have an they have an alternate option, right? So the the passage talks about in in this kind of theological terms, you exchange the glory of the immortal God for images, uh, or exchange the truth about God for a lie, worship the created thing rather than the creator. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it's saying you're supposed to direct your hopes and your desires and your you know your awe and wonder and you know your life towards God. That's what we're made to do. But what we do is we find other places to direct those passions. And so I think that there's a whole lot of people who, even though they know God's kind of an option out there, there are so many things that quickly claim their allegiance, their their attention, their their desire, that they, they almost don't have to because there is, you know, whatever it is. I mean, you fill, fill in the blank of whatever created thing that you say, your, your career or uh, your family or, you know, a relationship or sexuality or what, I mean, money, whatever. Like you've got all sorts of things that our society says, go for it. And so it's easy to grab onto that created thing and have all those direct, those things that are supposed to go towards God easily go towards that without even thinking you're doing anything wrong. Yeah, it's kind of like in verse 28 there, it says, furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind. Like, they, they're like, it, well, it's more worthwhile for me to go and do these other things, like, like you were saying. It, even, even that they, they use that word, worthwhile like that's i i like circled that in in here um because obviously people thought that they were more wise you know what i mean to figure uh, i i i know better this is better for me another observation from verse 32 it says although they know god's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death 
they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. So I, I get this mental picture of someone who is walking down a path, uh, spending their time and their energy in behaviors that they know are wrong and destructive. And not only do they continue down that path, but they invite others down the path with them or cheer on people who will walk down that path with them. And so it's like it's like he's saying, this is bad, walking down the path in the first place and violating your own conscience and, and ignoring the knowledge of God. Then even worse than that is that you're beckoning and approving of other people who are doing the same thing, which I see it, it feels like how our, how our entertainment is. There, there, there are times when people who might not, might not necessarily do the things will watch people do them and be entertained by it. Like there, 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 are, there are shows, there are all, all sorts of things that we consume that you're almost observing people doing things that you're like, that's stupid or that's wrong, at, but I'm going to laugh at it or be you know, entertained by it in some way. Like there's a, there's a certain level of vicarious like cheering on of sin uh, with that. Um, one, one thing that uh, I wanted to, to highlight here is a connection I noticed, like a, a, a thematic connection I noticed with uh, the beginning of the Bible. So it talks about the creator right away. So it automatically had me thinking about Genesis 1. And then, then I realized the part where it says they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they thought they were getting wise. Mm-hmm. Well, it made me think of the serpent talking to Eve because that's exactly what he says. First, he says, well, did God really say that? Like he's saying – is the truth you think you know actually true? You know, maybe you should believe this. And then, he, then it says that when they looked at the, the fruit, it says they realized it would make them wise. And there is, there's kind of a, a, that thing is going on inside all of our hearts. You know, the same thing that Adam and Eve did where they're looking at something saying, I know God told me not to do that, but I think it's going to benefit me. I think I know better gets replicated in all of us. And that, I think that's what the passage is, is uh, highlighting here. To that point, what this text is saying is when, when people think they're becoming wise, they're exchanging the knowledge of God for other things, and they think they're becoming more wise by doing that, but actually they're becoming more foolish and more darkened. They're becoming dumber. Is that too crass of a word to use? You think you're so smart, but you're moving in the opposite direction. And I, when I look out on our culture right now, if we just talk about like being a kid growing up in our culture— and we all, everyone will nod at the fact that like mental health and anxiety and all these things with, with kids in our culture, it's skyrocketing. These kids are miserable and suffering. And yet we keep doing the same things, which is just affirm everything they do. The most loving thing you could do is just affirm anything a kid thinks or wants to do. And look where it's getting us. It's getting us into a place where our kids are miserable. We think we're so smart and such a liberated society, and we think we're so clever, and an entire generation is coming behind us, and they are suffering the effects of what I think is us exchanging the knowledge of God for other things, and we think we're becoming wise, but it's going in the wrong direction. Let, let me make an observation that, um, that acknowledges the elephant in this passage, okay, especially in our culture. Uh, the, the paragraph that starts uh, in verse uh, 26 says, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural, natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. And it goes on to say the same thing about the men. Um, th- this is talking about same-sex sexual relationships. And so we see that as a culture. Um, and obviously, it's very polarizing. Um, and Within the church, we know what scripture says, but oftentimes it's, we're even hesitant to talk about it. So I want to I just highlight this here because this is one of the clearest passages that addresses that, especially in the New Testament. 
And one of the things that I think is important to see about this uh, is kind of a, uh, sometimes you'll hear people who look at these passages and they'll say, well, maybe that's not talking about what we think it's talking about. It looks like it's, you know, saying, you know, same-sex sexual relationships are, are off limits. Uh, but that is talking about back in uh, Roman culture, things that were abusive or uh, exploiting, you know, young men or, uh, you know, different things that they'll say culturally. Um, it was specifically talking about these sorts of things. Um, what's interesting about this passage, and it's worth, worth noting, is that it starts off talking about uh, women in relationship with other women. And, in, and some, so sometimes people say, you know, in the ancient world, they didn't have, uh, you know, faithful, monogamous, uh, same-sex relationships that were, you know, loving and, and so on. Um, but that's not actually historically accurate. Um, and the best example of it is the way ancient people talked about lesbian relationships. They didn't necessarily use that language uh, the way we do, but they would describe um, male relationships. And sometimes those are the ones we say, well, those are, those are different. Like those were kind of abusive or power relationships or whatever. But when they described uh, women in relationship with other women, they talked about it in these kind of loving, affectionate ways that were not the kind of abusive power relationships that people are, are, are talking about. So when Paul highlights that, he's, he's describing something much closer to what we experience in our society. And so it's not, it, it's talking about what we think it's talking about. That's, I, that's a long way of saying that. Um, and I think that's worth pointing out because sometimes people will hear arguments and say, well, maybe we've misunderstood the New Testament. I think this is a really clear passage. Um, it might be a hard truth, but it's a, a really clear passage about this. Um, on the flip side, let me point something out here, though. Um, as clear as this passage is about this, uh, this sin in particular, it's also really clear about a whole lot of other things, okay? So um, one, one of the things that's going on in this passage uh, is uh, that you've, you've kind of heard us do it, actually. We keep talking about our culture and they and, and people who are doing this. Like almost there's a, there's a temptation when you read this passage to talk about other people, right? Um, and that's okay. Like you need to talk about your culture and Paul's saying that. But what Paul has done in this passage is brilliant because he is writing something that his Jewish audience would have totally recognized. There were Jewish moral writers who would write things like this and say, let me tell you what's gone wrong with Gentile society. They've abandoned the true God and this is, this is the sexual immorality they get into and this is the corruption that comes in their society and so on. Isn't it great that we know God and we're better than them? What Paul does is this. He, he says all of that and it's true. But instead of saying we're better than them, if you turn the page to chapter two, the first thing he says is, and so those of us who are interested in judging the society around us, let's turn a mirror on ourselves because we've got the same problem living in us. Like he, he's, it's, uh, I heard one author say it's a, a theological sting operation. It's making you say, yeah, 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 look at all those problems. And then Paul says, and we've got the problems too. And so the last thing you can do when you read this passage, especially if you're a, you know, a straight Christian who's saying what, what's going on with our society and sex, is say, look at them and not look at yourself. Because uh, whatever, whatever Paul's addressing, it's a thing that lives in all of us. Another observation, verse 18, the first verse, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And I ask myself the question in what way hmm. if the wrath of god is being revealed from heaven it sounds like god's judgment is somehow being poured out and it could be an interesting conversation like what is god's wrath is this the fly off the handle parent i think we all know that's not it god perfectly judges and is righteous in everything he does uh so i read this again and at verse 26 i think we get part of the answer because of this god gave them over to yeah. shameful lust. So I think part of the judgment or the wrath of God 
is him pulling his restraints off and saying, listen, if you want to think that way and give yourself over to whatever you're lusting after, when God takes his hands off and stops restraining and just lets you go to your own devices, that in some ways is a form of God's judgment. I don't know if it's all of it, but it seems like it's part of it in this text. Yeah. Yeah. There, there, in the Bible, there are two different ways that God's wrath is described. One is kind of a, an active wrath where it's saying, all right, you know, th- this, this thing is going to happen that's going to act as punishment. Other times it's kind of a passive one saying, I'll, I'll just let you do that and you'll get the consequences. It's sort of like a, a parent who, <laughs> I, you know, I, I don't, I'm trying to think if I've done this anytime recently, but there, there are times when uh, a, a child wants something that you know is not going to be good. And at some point you, and this is usually a more mature child. You don't do this for, for a little kid, right? Um, a teenager or something where you say, all right, eat as much as you want or stay out as late as you want or what, and, and they're miserable because of it. And some of, some of those kinds of things are saying, okay, the, the, the punishment is not me grounding you. The punish, punishment is letting you do the thing I know is going to be painful and you got to learn it. All right, let's talk about message here. If you were going to sum up one idea from this passage, what would it be? That sound means it's time for your comma tip of the week. Every week we talk about message. It's the step where we try to boil down what we are reading into one sentence. We do it every week on the podcast, but I wonder, do our listeners? It's a really good exercise to take the time to try to write what you got out of your Bible reading each day. So grab a notebook or the notes app on your phone and try it for a week. See how you like it. And this has been your comma tip of the week. All right, so what's the message you got? My message is, it, it comes right from verse 25, stop exchanging the truth about God for a lie. Um, for me, it's just that idea of when I think I know best, I don't. Um, when I think I know what's going to be best for me, apart from what God's word says, apart from what God's will is, um, it will not be worthwhile in the end. If I was at home writing the message in my journal that I use, I would likely write, I am responsible for the amount of knowledge that I currently have about God. My message is going to come uh, straight out of our discussion question, our, our, our uh, banter question at the start. Uh, I'm going to say, sin is trading the name brand of the creator for the knockoff imitation of the, the creature. So this is what sin is. It's saying whatever it is that I'm supposed to get from God, I'm going to look to the off brand. I'm going to look to the imitation thing to get it. So if I'm supposed to go to God to experience love and affirmation and so on, I'm going to go to some person. Or if I go to God for uh, purpose and meaning, I'm going to go to my work or whatever. You're exchanging what you're supposed to get from God um, and going to something he created. That actually leads into the second M in comma, which is meditation. And so I'm going to do a meditation based off of verse 25 here. And I'm going to ask you a question. So the verse says this, They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. So the question that I want you to ponder prayerfully for the next 45 seconds is this. Where are you looking for a created thing to do for you what only God can do for you?
All right, let's talk about the A and comma, which is application. This is where we respond and say, what should we do about this? Uh, in light of my message being uh, stop exchanging the truth about God for a lie, um, I want to be aware. I want to ask myself, like, where am I making excuses? Um, where am I uh, trying to say, well, no, this is this this will be fine, or this will be okay, or this will be better? Um, where am I making excuses? I don't know how connected my application is to my message. So if my if my message is I'm responsible for the current amount of knowledge I have about God, I'm I'm currently thinking about our culture and the downward spiral of this text. Yeah. You stiff arm God, you reject any knowledge of God, he gives you over to your own thinking, your own lusts, and it just keeps spiraling downwards. And so you can just kind of get caught up in that trajectory, right? So as we were saying earlier, you know, we we're talking about people in our culture that they may, may never even be around conversations about God. And so if I have a certain amount of knowledge of God, how helpful could I be to just engage in these God conversations? Like maybe just the most simple God conversations are what's going to save some people from going down this spiral of darkness, even conversations I think are super basic and super simple. Um, so my application, I'm working this all out right now in real time on the podcast. Live. <laughs> I, my application is if I'm responsible for the amount of knowledge I have about God, then conversations about God and sharing the knowledge of God is a really important thing to do. Yeah. That, that's really interesting because in some ways what you're doing is – by engaging those conversations, is not just sharing your knowledge about God, but but almost raising someone's awareness of their own knowledge about God. So there, there may be things they sense or know, and just by you talking with them about it, all of a sudden they're saying, oh, I'm now taking some responsibility for what I kind of knew or had thought about or never really paid attention to, but now, you know, so that's a, that's a cool thing. Uh, for my uh, message talking about uh, sin being kind of uh, picking the imitation rather than the, the, the name brand of the creator, um, I, I think the application is looking at temptation and kind of reframing it by asking the question, how is this thing that I want to do that I'm trying to resist or whatever? How is it uh, offering me something that God would provide? Like, why, how am I looking to this for something? It's not going to give me, it's not, gonna, this is not what it's for. Um, and I, identifying that. So then I can actually turn that, that desire or that longing uh, towards God in that way. Um, and, and use that as a way of kind of breaking the hold on it um, to say, you know, what? I am looking for something but it's something I should get from God, and so I don't need to go here for that. Um, a secondary application for some of you who might be listening. Uh, some of you might hear the description. We've been talking kind of as society in a downward spiral, uh, but this is something that individuals experience. They they go down a path of sin, and it leads to dark places. And some of you might be in a place where you're, you're saying, you know what? I, I've got some addictive behaviors. Uh, I've been engaged in sexual sin. I've been engaged in risky behavior. I've been doing things that have been uh, hurting my my relationships, my family, things like that. Um, that's something that we really care about here. Um, th- this passage is kind of dark and heavy, uh, but the the rest of the book goes on to offer hope. And around here at Christ Community, uh, a place like Care Night, uh, where there are groups of people getting together to say, you know what? We may have gone down a path, but we don't want to keep going down that path. We want the hope of Christ uh, to do that. Those are great, safe places to talk about these things. So uh, if you've never reached out and said, hey, I need some help, um, try Care Night at Christ Community or something else near you uh, that's similar to that. Yeah, that, that's a good suggestion. And I, and I would even add a, a more obvious 
thing to go to, which is a weekend worship service. So if you live around one of our church campuses, or if you're you know somewhere else, not around one of the our campuses in the western suburbs of Chicago, uh, sometimes to get out of that downward spiral, you need to intentionally do something. And it's something as simple as going to church, especially nowadays when a lot of us are isolated or we, we kind of toggle back and forth between going to like an in-person worship service or just watching one online. Uh, I, can't, I can't tell you how many times I've heard someone's story start like this. I was in a dark place. The only thing I knew was to go to church. I don't even know why I went. And I sat in the back row and I didn't know what to expect. And then God... Right. And yeah. they'll say, and then I just wept the whole time or, right. And so if you're in a dark place, one of the best things you could do on a Sunday morning, go find a local church and just go see what God does. All right. Well, there you have it, friends. Thanks for joining us. Listen next week. Uh, next Monday, we'll have a new episode for you. We'll be looking at another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Plan. In the meantime, if you're not following along, you can download that plan at thebiblesavvy.com. Uh, start Download it. Start reading along. Also, you can subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Email us your questions or suggestions at podcast at biblesavvy.com. Lastly, tell your friends, and we'll talk to you next week.